Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. John, John sends his love. He's been down in uh, the KZN region for the last couple of days, ministering to a bunch of church uh, leaders, and this morning ministering at a church in Durban. So, so that's where he is. That uh, means I get to share with us this morning, and we're going to jump through uh, a number of scriptures and cover a bunch of things. And we're going to be talking about impartation. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. But before we get there, do you know that Jesus loves you? Amen. Do you know that Jesus has a plan for your life? He really does. Are you hungry? Because he wants to feed you. So with uh, this theme of, of it being in the, the Jewish calendar, the year of the open door, one of the things that I feel the Lord is, is really doing is that there's a grace and there's an open door for impartation to take place. Now, what is impartation? Quite simply, it's the transference of a gift or a grace from one person or from one thing to another. And, and so it's this transference of a gift being released from one person to another or from the Lord directly to a person. Something is imparted to them. They didn't have something, an impartation takes place, and now they receive something. They've got something. And so if we look at Romans chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, we're going to read a verse here because this is one of the key verses that talks about this impartation process. Romans um, chapter 1, verse 11 and verse 12. Let's read together. Paul's writing, I says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Let's pause over there. You see, there's an impartation that Paul wants to release to the church. For what reason? To make them strong. And now I think uh, we, we need to just carry on reading in a moment because we sometimes like to get caught up on, oh, it's the man of God that's coming with a a gift or a grace that he's going to release into my life. And so I don't have to do anything. I just get to be a recipient of his hard work, his prayer, his fasting, his devotion to the Lord, and now his anointed. And so he's just going to come and lay hands on me and it's going to be imparted into me and I'm going to get all the breakthrough that I need. Um, Now, what does it say as it carries on in verse 12? That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. See, Paul's saying he wants to come and impart something, but he's also saying, I'm going to be receiving from you when I come to you. See, it's this this mutually beneficial thing. It's not a one-direction flow. It's about community. It's about you receiving from me, but it's about me receiving from you as well. It's about you receiving from one another. And the whole essence of impartation is there's there's a grace upon us and we share that grace, that gift with one another that we might be mutually encouraged. And the the purpose of the, the impartation is that you might be strengthened. The Lord wants to strengthen His church. The door is open and so He's pouring out goodness. He's pouring out gifts and impartation is one of the ways that these gifts and these graces are being released amongst us as a people. And so this morning we're going to unpack uh, a few different ways that we see impartation take place in the scriptures. And the first and most obvious one is through the laying on of hands. And so we're going to go to Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 verse 5 and 6 and uh, let's, let's read over here. This is Paul writing to Timothy, says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, 
which first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul saying to Timothy that you received a gift. He's referring to a time when Paul obviously laid hands upon Timothy and released a gift to him, a spiritual gift. It wasn't a Christmas present or a birthday present. It was a spiritual gift that was released. It was imparted to Timothy. And Paul's now writing to him and saying, hey, that, that, that grace that was on your grandmother, that was on your mother, that I'm now seeing upon you. So we're seeing a picture of this life transference as well. But we're, we're focusing now on the laying on of hands. And so Paul's saying that gift that you received you have a responsibility to fan that gift into flame. And the, the, the key point for us is that it was received, how? Through the laying on of hands. We see this again in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul again writing to Timothy, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders did what? When they laid their hands on you. So we're seeing again, a gift being imparted, being released through the laying on of hands. We can even see then in Acts chapter 8, verse 16 to verse 18. The context here is uh, the church has just kind of been birthed. It's uh, a few years old. And Peter and John find this, this group of believers, and they believe in Jesus, but they haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit and so they're sharing with them, and they're telling them about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we pick it up here in Acts chapter 8, verse 16. It says, Because the Holy Spirit has not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He was trying to buy the gift, and he got a rebuke for that because that's not how it works. But we see even the Holy Spirit being poured out. How? Through the laying on of hands. Now, this is not an exclusive thing that it only happens like that. No, it's just one of the ways. Of course, the Holy Spirit is poured out. We can receive baptism directly from the Lord Jesus by ourselves. I know many people that that's how they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, in a personal time of prayer, of devotion, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They got baptized in the Holy Spirit. But for many of us, uh, myself included, and as we see in the Scripture here, it's through the laying on of hands that the baptism of Holy Spirit takes place. You see, we're seeing a powerful thing happen as we lay hands, impartation taking place as we lay hands. Now, just probably is important to clarify over here what can and what can't be imparted. Otherwise, at the end of the service, you're all going to be running around for the rich person. Please impart your wealth on me. I'm ready to receive. Yeah. everyone that's struggling with certain areas in their life and they, they go to the person that they think is the most holy, righteous person, please impart your righteousness upon me, your holiness upon me. No. Godly character comes from making godly choices. It comes from making good decisions every day of your life. It doesn't get imparted. Of course we receive from the Lord His righteousness, and that is a gift that we receive. But from then on, it's as we continue to, 
to develop our character by making good choices. It doesn't get imparted to us. I sometimes, sometimes wish, <laughs> so if that's okay, that, you know, in the same way that, you know, if I could just impart some things, or if John could just impart some things, it would just make life a whole, whole, whole bunch easier. <laughs> I mean, imagine if we could just impart godly character. Just, there we go, it's yours now. <laughs> Live right. But what I, what I kind of hope for even more is imagine if, if we could eradicate certain things in the same way as things are imparted. The thing I'd go for would be the spirit of stupid, be gone in Jesus' name. <laughs> Because sometimes we find ourselves in a mess, not because the devil's come and done something or anything. It's just because you made a stupid decision. <laughs> if I could depart that, that would be wonderful. But, um, but that's not how it works. That's not how it works. This whole thing about laying on of hands, I, I think we sometimes get a bit, um, a bit confused with it because we, we sometimes adopt an old covenant approach. Last year, John did a, a brilliant job uh, helping us to understand the difference between old covenant prophetic ministry and new covenant prophetic ministry because there's a big difference between the two. And so it's the same when it comes to the laying on of hands. Now, in the old covenant, what happened was if someone in the community had leprosy, if they had some kind of skin disease, um, there were very strict rules and regulations about what had to happen with that person. And basically, they had to be removed from the community. They had to go live out of the community, and they were not to be touched. They were excommunicated. If they wanted to come back, there was a whole process um, that they had to go through to essentially be allowed back in when they had proof that they were healthy, that they were well, that they no longer had whatever sickness or disease it was. And so in the Old Covenant, you didn't touch someone with leprosy because if that came upon you, and now it's going to spread through the whole community. And so this was a uh, kind of a, a law, I guess, in the Old Covenant that was there to protect the community, that sickness and disease didn't spread. But the, the point is, in the Old Covenant, when a healthy person touched a sick person, their sickness came upon you. And so what we've done sometimes now is we've, we've brought that Old Covenant thinking into our current day life. And so then we find ourselves in a position where we say, I don't, I don't want anyone to lay hands on me because I don't know where that person's been. I don't know that person's character. I don't know how holy or how righteous they are. And so, in essence, out of fear, I'm not going to let that person come and pray for me. What happens in the new covenant? Let's have a look here. What did Jesus do? Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Completely, culturally inappropriate in that day. You don't touch a leper. What does Jesus do? He touches the leper. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand, touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. See, in the Old Covenant, when we touched sickness, darkness, evil came upon you. And so that's why I stay away. In the New Covenant, because of Jesus, the curse has been broken. 
Sickness has been defeated. The grave is empty. Now what happens is when Jesus lays hands on someone that has leprosy, what's in Jesus comes upon that person. Wholeness, health, and cleansing. The person gets healed. So we don't have to live in fear of what, what is upon them is going to come upon me. Now, okay, remember, if I could cast out that spirit of stupid, I would. Because don't go and take this now and say, well, I went to the witch and I asked the witch to lay hands upon me because I saw the witch do mysterious, magical things and I wanted to do those same things. No, that's called the spirit of stupid. And if you open that door, well, then you're going to get what you asked for. And you're going to get darkness coming into your life. So don't do stupid things. But in the context of a church, in in the context of a a safe space like this, when we're praying for one another, encouraging one another, uh, prophesying over one another, this is a safe space and we've got no reason to fear that what is upon them in a negative sense is going to come upon you. No, because what does the scripture say? He that is within you is greater than he that is in the world. You see, when when we have a posture of, I don't want you touching me or praying for me because I don't know where you've been, well, what are we saying? We're saying he that's in the world is greater than he that is within me. And so we have no reason to be afraid because the king lives inside of us. He has dominion within us. And so if he's got dominion, then nothing else can come and take that space Unless we operate in the spirit of stupid and open the door and go to the witch. (laughs) Don't do that. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So in this context of impartation, it's really important that we recognize what is the source and who is the source. And that's the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit. And so we're not receiving from the person. It's the Lord in the person that's releasing something to you. And there's an impartation coming from the, 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 the grace, God's presence in, in them that's now coming upon you. And so when we're receiving an impartation, we're trusting the Lord, not the person. We're not running after the person. We're not making Christian celebrities. No, it's the Lord that's releasing a grace. And so if we're asking the Lord for a good gift, He's a good Father and He's going to give good gifts. He's not going to give you something bad or negative or evil when you're asking for a good gift and when you're coming before the Father. Now this is actually laying on of hands. It's an elementary, basic, foundational truth for our, in our faith. We see this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings, the foundational teachings of being a follower of Christ, about Christ, and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundations. Now he's talking about the elementary foundations of our faith, and so he lists them. Foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands. You see, the laying on of hands is listed here as an elementary foundational truth. See, the early church understood the power of laying on of hands, and it's listed here as an elementary thing. And uh, I, I, think, I think we understand it, but I just want to encourage us that we understand it even more, that we realize what the Lord is doing in times when we have an opportunity to lay on of hands. 
So revival nights, we, do, we call it a fire tunnel. What's happening there is as we lay hands, there's impartation taking place. That's what we're doing. Laying on of hands. There's gifts and graces being released into your life in that moment as we trust the Lord together. Laying on of hands, the most obvious and one of the most common forms of impartation we see in the Scriptures. Another one is what I like to call uh, we catch something in the atmosphere. If you've got your Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 13. But you know when you're in the office or you're, you're with a friend or a family member, and, uh, and they're talking a little bit like this because they've got a cold and they've got a congestion in their sinuses. And then the next day you find you wake up and your throat's a bit scratchy. And you think, oh no, I caught Donovan's cold. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have hugged him at church on Sunday when I, when I heard him talking like this. So in the same way that you can catch a cold from someone, how do you do that? You, you catch a cold by being in close proximity with someone that is sick. And then sometimes, unfortunately, their sickness comes on you and you catch a cold. So in the same way, we can catch something in the Spirit. Let's have a look here in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9 to 13. The context is that the prophet Samuel has prophesied over Saul. He's about to become a king, and Samuel's prophesied a bunch of things that are going to be taking place, and so we pick it up here in verse 9. So as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. Samuel had prophesied a whole bunch of signs that were going to take place. So he's now saying all of these signs, they've been fulfilled on this day. So when he, when he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, him being Saul, um, and he joined in their prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him, known Saul, saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? A man who lived there answered, And who is, his, who is their father? So it became a saying, Is Saul also among the prophets? After Saul stopped prophesying, he went to the high place. And the story carries on. Now what happened in this scripture, in this passage? You see, Saul comes into the company of the prophets. The prophets, they're having this kind of this procession, this march, and they're prophesying. They're declaring things. They're speaking what they're seeing. They're prophesying stuff. Saul comes into their group as they're walking. And what happens to Saul? Saul also starts to prophesy. Now we know from the scripture that Saul was not a prophet. Now we know that if you just read a couple verses on, that, that that same day or a few days later, Saul makes a pretty big mess because he's hasn't listened to the prophet, and he's obviously not hearing from the Lord clearly for himself. It leads to the downfall of him being king. We know he's not a prophet, yet when he's with the group of prophets, he's prophesying. You see, what happened was the atmospheric anointing that was with that company of prophets, Saul came and put himself underneath it, that their grace became his grace. While he's with them, he starts to prophesy and do what they can normally only do. When he leaves their company, he can no longer prophesy. 
You see, he just came under that anointing for that period of time, an atmospheric anointing. You see, the door is open, and the Lord is releasing things in the atmosphere. It's the same as when we do maybe prophetic training here, whether it's a Sunday. I mean, was it last year we did it on a, on a Sunday morning, but often on a Wednesday we've done it as well. And we, we help to teach us to operate in the gift of prophecy. What you'll find is if you take that risk, if you step out and try prophesy, even if you've never prophesied before, I can almost guarantee you that if you're willing to just take that little step of risk and try to prophesy, you will prophesy. And you'll find it's way easier than what you thought. And what's happening is that there's an atmospheric anointing and you're receiving from the person next to you, in front of you, behind you. Um, their anointing is, is, is giving a momentum that you're flowing in that momentum. Remember John's story about the whirlpool. There's a, there's a momentum for prophecy to take place. And so if you take that risk and you jump into the pool, you'll find you're just swept along with everyone else. And it's like, oh, this is actually easy because there's an atmospheric anointing. There's an anointing in the place for this to take place. Has anyone ever noticed that? If you haven't, then pay attention when we're next to it and you'll find... It, it, it really works. It's what happened with Saul. Yeah, he has a, an analogy that's it's very practical, but forgive me for it. If your objective was to go to a pub, go to a bar, and get absolutely inebriated because life was going bad, and that was your goal, you can get in your car, you can catch your Uber, you can arrive at the, at the pub, you can walk into the pub, you can take a seat at the bar. You can greet everyone that's alongside you. You can high-five them. You can chat to the barman. You can listen to the music. You can watch what's going on. You can watch the sport on the TV. You can have a merry old time. But until you order a drink from the barman and then grab hold of that drink and start to consume that alcohol, Nothing's going to happen to you. So you can be in the right environment and you can have all the right things in place. But until you start to engage with what that institution is serving, you're not going to get anything. You see, you can come to church on a Sunday. You can sit in a chair on a Sunday. You can sing some songs. You can pray some prayers. You can high-five the people next to you. But unless you're engaging your spirit and saying, Jesus, I need what this place is serving. Jesus, I need your spirit. Jesus, I need your breakthrough in my life. And I want it. And I'm hungry for it. And I'm longing for it. Unless you engage your spirit with the spirit of God, nothing's going to happen. And you can go home from church and say, oh, you know, Guitarist hit a wrong note. Preacher wasn't quite on it. He didn't have any good jokes. Coffee was, I think, a bit burnt. They must have let it go a bit long. Oh, it was the preacher. The preacher preached too long. Coffee got burnt. Uh, just, just wasn't a great Sunday. Engage your spirit with what's happening because there's something in the atmosphere and you can apprehend it and grab hold of it and say, Jesus, I want this in my life. I need this in my life. And that's why hunger is so important. Probably the most valuable element within the family culture right now is our hunger for the Lord. Lord, you're doing something and I want it. 
Lord, you're doing something and I want to grab hold of it. Lord, I'm grateful for what you're doing in my brother's seat sitting next to me in his life or my sister. But Lord, I want it in my life too. Lord, don't miss me. Lord, I'm engaging. Lord, I'm grabbing hold of. Help me to stir up hunger in my heart that I might receive what you're doing in this season. Atmospheric impartation. It's happening. The fun story we were on uh, uh, re- was Revival Churches Tours, what we called it. It was 2015, I think it was. We had about 130 pastors, leaders from all over South Africa visiting different churches that were experiencing revival in America. We had a packed schedule, um, back-to-back meetings, conferencing. I mean, we, we, we got everything that we could get. And uh, we had one afternoon where we had some downtime. And so the one particular church we were at, uh, they had an indoor basketball court on their, on their premises. And so we're playing and messing about. And I mean, us South Africans, we generally don't know how to play basketball. At least I'll speak for myself. Um, and so, you know, we think let's not stand next to the hoop and try to shoot it in. Let's go to the halfway line. So we go to the halfway mark on the court line. And now we're, we're trying to get the, the ball in from halfway. It's extremely difficult. <laughs> and so my friend and I were shooting, we're shooting, we're missing, we're missing the backboard completely. Every now and then we'd get lucky and we'd, we'd hit the backboard or we'd hit the rim of the, the net, but we, we just couldn't get it in. We've been going for probably half an hour, maybe, maybe even 45 minutes. I, I lost count of how many shots we've had and we, we couldn't get it in. Then what happens is the father of the house, the, the senior pastor, walks into the gym where we're busy shooting. Uh, he greets us, and my friend goes, a double-handed lob. His name is Marcel. Hits the room, in. High five, celebrate, glory, woohoo! Now it's my chance. Oh, pressure's on now. Pressure is on. Grab the ball, one-handed lob. Watch it. The pastor says, Yo, that's what we call a net ripper. <laughs> Didn't even touch the rim. Straight in. Perfect shot from the halfway mark. I'm like, yeah, that's what we've been doing all day. That's how we roll in Africa. <laughs> he leaves the gym. We're like, we got this. <laughs> Missed the backboard completely. You could just do it just 30 seconds ago. What's going on now? We kept on shooting for another, I don't know, 20 minutes. I don't think we got a single ball in the hoop again. I don't know what happened, but I I think it can't be coincidence that the moment the father of the house stepped in, that we got back-to-back shots in the hoop from halfway line. You see, I think what happened was, was when the father of the house stepped in, there was an anointing that enabled us to do what we couldn't ordinarily do. You see, when you submit yourself underneath the leadership of a local house, there's an impartation that comes upon you that you can do things that you couldn't ordinarily do. That's why the body is so important. It's why we need the covering of the body. It's why we need to be plugged in and part of the body because when we're in isolation, things don't go as smooth as they should. Now, I'm not saying that just because you're plugged in, everything's going to go smoothly. No, John told us just a week or two back that we are going to have to be overcomers. There are going to be challenges. Jesus told us we're going to have to be overcomers. But we get to overcome together. And we get, we, we get gifts 
and graces that we can't receive outside of the body to help us to overcome and to be those overcomers. Atmospheric anointing. Then we see this impartation or this transference of of a gift or of a grace, a healing grace, through physical objects. This is the Bible. Have you guys read the Bible? (laughs) There's some crazy stories in the Bible. Really, really crazy Bible stories. 2 Kings chapter 13. There's this guy named Elisha. We're going to talk about him in a moment. Elisha was a prophet. And the power of God was just so real and tangible upon his life. Elisha dies. Gets buried in the tomb. There's some Israelites now, and and they've got a brother that's also died. And so they're in the process of burying him. I think it was some Philistines, if I'm not mistaken, come across the field, and so they get this panic, and so they just quickly throw the deceased body into Elisha's tomb. In kind of a panic, we need to get out of here. As the body gets thrown into the tomb, or what happens is it touches the dead bones of Elisha, and that dead man gets raised back to life. It's in the Bible. I promise I'm not telling you lies. Go and read it. 2 Kings chapter 13. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in that situation. But I can imagine that part of what was happening, I'm not saying it's all, but part of what was happening was there was some kind of a residual anointing in the bones of Elisha. That when that dead body touched the anointed bones of the dead Elisha, there was still some power that transferred into that dead man that it was enough to bring him back to life again. I don't understand. But we see this again in the book of Acts, chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs, And aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Now, we don't know for sure, but probably these handkerchiefs were when Paul was working. He was a tent maker. And so he's doing physical labor, and he's sweating. And so he pulls out his hanky, and he maybe wipes the sweat off his brow, and he puts it back in his pocket. And he's wearing an apron because he's doing physical labor. And at the end of the day, he takes it off and puts it down. And then somehow, maybe there was a laundry team. I don't know. (laughs) He made the tents and there were other people that cleaned the handkerchiefs and aprons. I don't know how it happened. But they realized at some point that when, when, when that handkerchief touches someone that's sick, they get healed. That when that apron touches someone that's been oppressed by a demonic force, freedom comes. You see, there's, there's, there's some kind of an anointing in that physical object and an impartation from the Lord that was on that person that touched that object is now released into your life. We see this in the Scripture. Really important that as we talk about these, these, these ways of impartation that our heart's posture is Jesus. Our heart's posture is, Holy Spirit, will you do something in my life? That we never put our faith in the object. That we never create a new theology that now we go and lie on dead people's graves because it's going to do something. No, that's not what we're saying. 
But we're saying this is one of the ways that we see the Lord working. If the Lord is doing it, then the Lord can do whatever He wants to do. But let's not create a, a theology out of a miracle. Are you with me? But we're seeing this in the Scripture. Then we see this transference of a life gift, of a mantle, of, of a calling. And so let's stick here with Elisha and Elijah. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9 to 15. And, and so the context here is that Elijah has called Elisha to come and serve him. And so Elisha leaves his parents, he leaves his family, leaves everything behind, and he follows the prophet. He serves him for many years as, as he, he journeys with him, and he becomes a servant in serving Elijah. We pick it up here in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. It says, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they are walking along and talking together, Suddenly, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Pause over there. I mean, if we watched this on the latest Hollywood blockbuster, we'd be like, come on, Hollywood is just getting so ridiculously far-fetched. It's in the Bible. Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Now, the context is just a little while earlier, Elijah had done this very same thing and the waters had parted. Elisha, he's now holding Elijah's cloak, strikes the water with the cloak. He says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching all of this said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. You see, Elisha asked for a double portion, a double mantle, a double anointing of what was on his spiritual father, Elijah. And it was now passed on to Elisha. What are some of the things that Elisha did? Well, he served his father. It's one of the things that to receive a life impartation is, is what, what commonly happens is it's, it's this position of serving. And as we posture ourselves as servants in the house of the Lord, there's often this life transference that takes place. I can tell you for sure there's so much in my life that is not my own, but it's through receiving from John, receiving a grace, a gift from him. Anyone heard of a guy named Reinhard Bonnke? I need an answer to this because I suddenly need to take it forever. If you see, if you know Rana Bonki, all right. Well, for those who haven't heard of him, 
one of the greatest evangelists of our day, uh, literally saw millions and millions of souls being saved in our continent in Africa, ministered here in South Africa and throughout our continent. Uh, one particular meeting in Nigeria, they estimate 1.6 million people in, in attendance as he's preaching the gospel and, and seeing the Lord move powerfully. When, when this guy, Reinhard Bonnke, from Germany, was about 10 years old, he felt the call of the Lord that he needed to be an evangelist in Africa. And so as he went through his teenage years, this thing kept burning with him. And so when he finished school, he went to university to get a theology degree that he could pursue the call of God upon his life. And so he goes to Wales. He does his, his theology degree. And as he's finished studying, um, he's now traveling back home. And uh, with his travel itinerary, he's able to do a day in London as a tourist. And so he thinks this is wonderful. He'd love to go and spend a day in London just as a tourist. And so he gets, gets there in the morning. He's got the day to himself, but he was a poor young student. He didn't have money to pay for a tour guide to do a normal touristy um, you know, guide or whatever it was. But he hears about this thing where you can buy a bus ticket and you can ride as much as you want for the day. Kind of, I think, the equivalent of the, the hop-on, hop-off buses in many touristy areas. And so he gets this ticket and on he gets the bus. And the bus is driving all through London and, and he's just enjoying the sightseeing and, and, and just having a good merry old time on his, his day off on his way home. And then he thinks, okay, I just need to go stretch my legs. So one of the stops, completely random, gets off the bus and he's walking through now the, the suburbs of London as he's just stretching his legs. And as he's walking, he walks past a particular house that has a sign at the gate that says George Jeffries. Anyone ever heard of George Jeffries? Not many, but a few of us. Now, George Jeffries, anyone heard of Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival? So there was a big Welsh Revival in the early 1900s, and Evan Roberts was the, the guy that kind of was, was pioneering and leading this revival. It was extraordinary. Pubs got emptied. Um, people on the streets were just be, being saved. There was a holiness movement. People would repent of their sins. The Lord moved powerfully in, in Wales. That was one of the things that then also was part of uh, sparking was a Pensacola or Azusa, one of the other revivals in America, which then was kind of part of the, the birth of the charismatic church movement as we know it today. And so anyway, that's Evan Roberts. This guy named George Jeffries, he encounters the Lord in this Welsh revival and he gets born again, becomes on fire for the Lord and he starts serving the Lord. Um, he ends up uh, doing m you know, many crusades and uh, mission trips into the British Isles. And one of the key marks that marked his life was that he would see signs, wonders, miracles taking place as he would preach the gospel. And so, Ronald Bonnke has just come from Bible college, and he's been lectured and taught about this guy named George Jeffries. In fact, part of their curriculum was that he had to read one of George Jeffrey's books. And so he knows all about this guy. He's studied him. He's learned about him. He's heard what the Lord did through this guy, George Jeffries. And now he's walking in London completely randomly, and he sees this sign, George Jeffries. And he thinks to himself, could this be the George Jeffries house? Did he really live here? And as he's about to walk on, the Holy Spirit kind of prompts him and says, well, you won't know if you don't ask. See, the Holy Spirit's so full of wisdom. <laughs> so he walks in through the gate, gets to the front door, and rings the bell. A lady opens the door and he says, 
Excuse me, ma'am, I'm so sorry to disturb you. My name is Rana Bonke. I've just come from Bible school, and I just saw the sign over here. We learned about um, George Jeffries, and is this the house where he once lived? And the lady says, yes, this is where he lives. Now, Rana thought that he had passed away. He didn't know he was still alive. And so as he's engaging with this lady, he realizes George Jeffries is still alive. And so he says, well, would it be okay if I could just come in briefly just to greet him? I'd be so honored to meet this man. I've learned about him at Bible school. I've just read his book, and I would be so honored to meet him. And the lady says, no. And then he hears in the background a deep voice calling from inside the house. Let him in. <laughs> and so George Jeffries comes walking down the stairs dressed in very formal attire as if he was ready for a meeting. They greet. Reinhardt says he couldn't stop talking. He's just blabbering away. It's like, you know, you meet a famous person, you don't know what to do, so you just, just blabber out a whole bunch of information. And he just can't stop talking until George Jeffries puts his hand on Reinhardt's shoulder. And George Jeffries drops down to the floor on his knees and pulls Reinhardt with him. And down they get on their knees in the living room of George Jeffries, putting his hand on Rana Bonke, and he starts to pray for him. He starts to bless him. He starts to encourage him in the Lord. And, and, and Ronald says, the glory of the Lord fills this lounge as they are encountering the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this moment, a divine moment. 30 minutes later, after the, their encounter of, of of George praying and ministering to Reinhardt. Um, they, they get up and Reinhardt leaves. He says, Reinhardt did, it must have been that the Holy Spirit was his bus driver that day. <laughs> on he goes, gets back on the bus, makes his way back and uh, travels back to Hamburg, Germany, his hometown, overnight. Arrives in the morning, and uh, Reinhardt's dad comes to fetch him. And uh, they greet, and, and, and Reinhardt hasn't told his dad what just happened the day before. And his dad says to him, one of the first things as they greet, he says, oh, you won't believe, I, I received a phone call this morning. I heard the, say, the sad news that George Jeffries passed away last night. Reinhardt realizes in that moment, I received a mantle. That was a God set up that something from his life was transferred onto my life. This was before Reinhardt had done any of his miracle mass crusades where people would be healed, delivered, and mass, mass salvations coming to our country. Probably the greatest evangelist our continent has ever seen. Literally millions of people saved. And a key part of it was through receiving an anointing, a mantle from a different man. See, a, a beautiful connection between us and this whole story is that George Jeffries, uh, he purchased a building as, as one of the churches in, when he was ministering that later on became Kensington Temple. Now, our connection with Kensington Temple is that a guy named Colin Dye was the, the lead pastor there for a number of years and a great theologian. And so he wrote a series of theological books called Sword of the Spirit. So if you are currently a best student or if you've done best previously, the, 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 the Sword of the Spirit books that we covered to do our theology training comes from Kensington Temple. And George Jeffries was the very one that bought that building uh, that then came on to become Kensington Temple. I thought it was just uh, 
interesting to see our, our connection with all of these little things. Amazing how the Lord works. Can we do one more story? So there's this guy called Kevin Dedman. Anyone heard of Kevin Dedman? Anyone heard of uh, treasure hunting? A tool that we use to go and do outreach. Kevin Dedman moves to Bethel Church, and he, while he's there, learns about this concept of impartation. Now, there's another guy named Lonnie Frisbee. Anyone heard of Lonnie Frisbee? If you were here the Wednesday night, about two or three weeks back, we watched a film, and he was one of the lead characters, um, Lonnie Frisbee, in the Jesus People Movement, Jesus Revolution. It's on Netflix. If you haven't yet watched it, go and watch it. So Kevin Dedman knew Lonnie Frisbee because Lonnie became one of the people that then later on in his life uh, with John Wimbo birthed the Vineyard Church Movement. Kevin came out of the Vineyard Church Movement. He knew Lonnie. He's now learning about the power of impartation, how real it is, and that it's in the Scriptures. And he's thinking to himself, I knew Lonnie, and he was this guy that flowed in absolute signs, wonders, miracles, words of knowledge, uh, people getting saved. And, uh, and Lord, I didn't ever think to ask him to pray for me that a grace from his life would come upon mine. And so Kevin is like repentant because Lonnie's already passed away when Kevin gets this revelation. And so Kevin feels the Lord lead him to go on this journey, to go to different places where Lonnie used to minister, where he used to speak, um, that he's just like... Lord, I want to receive what you did in Lonnie's life, the good things. May they be on my life as well. On his journey, he ends up at a house where Lonnie used to live, and he knocks on the door. A little old lady opens the door, and Kevin says, I'm so sorry to bother you, but is this the place where Lonnie lived? And she says, yes, yes, it is. And he says, well, I was a friend of Lonnie, and I knew him, and what I'm doing is I'm coming around, and she stops him mid-speech and says, yes, I know why you're here. Yeah, because you're looking for Lonnie's mantle. Kevin just looks at her. He's like, what? And she says to him, when Lonnie was on his deathbed, he said to me, in a few years' time, a tall man with brown hair, if you've ever seen Kevin Dedman, he's a tall man with brown hair, will come to the house, come knocking on the door, and he'll be looking for my mantle. I want you to freely give it to him. And the condition is that he freely gives it to anyone that wants. And Kevin's just like, whoa. Glory. Kevin receives something into his spirit, a transference, the same as Elisha receives from Elijah. Shortly after that, Kevin comes up with this very concept of treasure hunting, where come on outreach with us and you'll get to experience it. But this move sweeps across many parts of the world as a, as a new tool to help people to reach the lost and preach the gospel to them, directly after receiving an impartation. See, the Lord does this, and uh, He's still doing it today. See, another way that we see impartation and transference of, of a gifting is through what we call fivefold ministers. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, So Christ Himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's why we call them the fivefold ministers. And what, was the, what is the purpose of these fivefold ministers? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
healing, prophecy, words of knowledge, miracles, um, tongues, all of these things. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. But now it says, when it comes to fivefold, it says, Christ himself gave. You see, the fivefold are gifts to the body of Christ. And their purpose and their function is to help the church to be strengthened and to grow up. Now, sometimes we bring guest speakers into this environment to come and preach, to come and teach, to come and be with us. You see, one of the reasons, or the, the primary function of someone that is called to the office of a prophet, pastor, uh, apostle, evangelist, or teacher, their primary role is to equip you to operate in that very grace gift. You see, the, the primary role of a prophet is not to prophesy, but it's to train and equip us to operate in that gift. Because when a prophet walks into the room, the whirlpool momentum increases that it makes it easy for you to prophesy because that's the anointing that they carry. They are here to equip you for the works of ministry that the body might be built up. Now, when we bring a gift minister in, our westernized mindsets, and I'm not speaking to all of us, but we love to have our, our mind tickled and we love to hear some clever thoughts or some, oh, I didn't see that scripture before. And, and we love to get entertained through the eloquence of the theology and the way it's presented. We perhaps don't verbalize that, but I know that it's real for many of us. What I want to tell you is that sometimes when a fivefold minister comes into the room, what they say is not nearly as important as them being here. Because them just being present they are the gift, not what they're saying so much as who they are. You see, they're a gift from Christ to come into the room that they release an anointing for us to grab hold of and apprehend. And we can either sit there, we can sit at the bar looking at the barman, or we can engage. And we can say, Lord, I love what's on this person's life. Lord, I see your spirit moving in them. Lord, I want what's on their life to come upon my life. Lord, I hear the stories of how they prophesy, of how the Lord moves through them. Lord, I want it in my life. And as we hunger, as we, we pull upon the Lord, we receive something in the atmosphere because there's a fivefold minister gift standing in the room. So when we have a guest that is a fivefold minister. Don't be so focused on what they say, but be more focused on, Lord, I want to receive in my spirit an impartation from this person because their grace is to release some momentum for us to follow and flow with, that we might grow in our gifting, in our operating, that the body might be built up. Amen? So what can we do? Seek the Lord. Be hungry for Him. Don't go to the pub or the bar and not engage. You've got to come to church hungry, saying, Lord, I want what you have for me this morning. Lord, I want what's in the atmosphere. Lord, in the worship time, I can feel the Holy Spirit's moving because the door is open and there's an atmosphere that's ripe for you to receive impartation, breakthrough, anointing from Him. And so put your hands up and receive from Him in those times of worship. Through the preaching of the Word, there are things being released into the atmosphere. Grab hold of them and receive them. Through ministry times in connect group on Sunday, there are things being released. Grab hold of them. Be hungry and long and desire for them. Exercise your faith. 
anticipate that the Lord is going to do something in you. Because I can tell you in my own life, I've seen how this works. And most often, impartation comes in seed form. And so someone prays for you, and you, you have faith and expectation that something is going to be imparted into your life. But then you go home and nothing happens. Now, what did Elisha do when he received the cloak from Elijah? We can almost see as we read between the lines, where now is the Lord our God? And then what does he do? He does something with what's in his hand. He strikes the water. And the water's open. And the prophecy, the spirit of Elijah is now upon Elisha. You see, when impartation takes place, you're probably just going to receive a seed. I mean, praise God if you receive more than a seed. But just the same as a tree starts in the form of a seed and then grows and matures and develops into hopefully a big substantial tree. Impartation is the same thing a lot of the time. It comes in the form of a seed. What are you doing with your seed? Are you eating it? Are you discarding it? Are you throwing it away? To grow it, you grab hold of it. You thank the Lord for it and you do something with it. If a prophet comes into the house and he teaches us to prophesy, you receiving a seed. What do you do on Monday morning? You go and you prophesy. And you get up in the morning early and you say, Lord, will you give me a word for one of my colleagues today? Lord, will you speak to me that I might be a source of strength, encouragement, or comfort because I've received something and I want to let this something grow in my life. So I were to take the gifts and fan them into flame, that we steward them, that we don't neglect them, that we nurture them, that they might grow in our lives to become something substantial. Won't you stand? Lord, we're so grateful for what you're doing. We're grateful for the atmosphere that is ripe with your spirit and with your presence. We thank you that these are days of breakthrough. Lord, we thank you for one another that you impart and you release graces and gifts to us through one another that we might together strengthen each other and that the body of Christ may be built up. Lord, we ask that as we long for you, as we hunger after you, that we will receive impartation from you that the, the impartation we receive, we will steward and we will see it grow into something beautiful, something mature, something big, something that will be a blessing, not just to us, but to everyone around us. And so, Lord, we thank you that the gifts are, are, are there for the common good, that we might be a blessing to everyone around us. And so, we, Lord, we, we, we say, come and move amongst us. Come and stir us, Lord. May hunger become more and more strong. May our thirst for you just grow more and more as we long to see you move in our lives, in our families, in this church, in our city. Thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you give us. Thank you for one another. And we say, Lord, help us not to miss our day of visitation. That even just when we're on the bus having a day off, and next thing we find, we've stumbled into a God encounter that will change us for the rest of our lives. Lord, help us to embrace those moments and not to miss them. Lord, we ask for your grace and your peace to be with us and upon us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.